Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again today. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, I, I trust you've been tuning in regularly as we continue our study in the book of Romans. Uh, this is such an inexhaustible study, but I, I just think as we continue to keep digging in the Word of God, for me personally, it first of all re, re, just reconfirms my faith, but secondly, it just lets me learn some stuff even while I'm studying because I'm a student long before I'm a teacher. But I believe these truths are so important that if we can see them in the context of how they are written, and how these first century readers would have understood these letters. I can't emphasize enough how the book of Romans was a letter. It wasn't written to be a book somewhere down the line. It was Paul writing a letter. And when you get a letter in the mail, you don't sit down and read this paragraph this week, and next week you read the next paragraph, and next week you read the next paragraph. But this is a letter. So there's a theme that runs all the way through the book of Romans. And so we have been, first of all, the first several chapters is the diagnosis of the human problem, human condition, and now we are in the deliverance section of what is the deliverance for the human condition. And as we get into Romans chapter 9, all through the book of Romans, he's talking about how God through the mystery of His will, had determined to include the Gentiles. They are not an afterthought. It is not a second thought. Jesus was always God's first intention, and that He would bring together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and in earth, and that He would bring them together in Him. That's the Gentiles, and that the promise that God had made to Abraham that He would be the Father of many nations would be fulfilled, and that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through the seed of Abraham. That's how the gospel was preached to Abraham, was God was telling Abraham concerning the Christ, the Messiah, that would come from his loins. But as you keep coming through this book of Romans, even he includes, uh, he concludes, remember Romans 2 and 3, he concludes all under sin, Jew, Gentile, insider, outsider. If you go back and review those teachings, he concludes all under sin and says we're all in the same sinking boat and all of us need a Savior. It keeps on pointing us back to the main thing, which is Christ. You know, Jesus, even when He talked to His own countrymen, said, you know, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of Me. And they were missing the whole point of the, uh, of the gospel, which was the gospel was about Messiah, a King coming, God in the flesh coming to redeem His creation and to restore it back and to bring His image back into the earth. Go back and watch about two segments before this where I talk about being predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. But I want us to get uh, Romans 9. I'm going to get back in this today. It says, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, 
I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I, I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternal blessed God. Amen. So he tells you that, that out of this lineage, that the special thing that they did have was they were given the oracles of God, they were given the covenants of promise, they were giving, uh, they were given the, uh, uh, they, uh, they were giving out of him was where Christ came in his natural genealogical lineage. Uh, but it goes to say who Christ came, who is overall an eternally blessed God, who's the eternally blessed God. Amen. That's not my opinion, that's what the scripture said. He was God in the flesh. And I, I want to pick. I want to emphasize that because there's some things I want to say about that shortly. But it is not. Verse six says it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Remember what Romans two said. It said, "For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, who's had a circumcision." in his heart. Verse 7 says, Nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac shall your seed be called. That's what he's trying to tell Nicodemus. Nick, your natural genealogy is not enough. Your natural genealogy is not what you get to. You're born, you must be born again. And the born again experience is what gets you into the covenants of promise. And he says uh, uh, again, that, that is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as a seed, for this is the word of the promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah will have a son. Now uh, it goes on to say, uh, and not only this, but when Rebekah had conceived by one, even by her father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have loved, I loved, and Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness of God? Uncertainly not. For he says to Moses, I have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now let me stop here for a moment and, say, and, and show you that what he's talking here is the inclusion of both Jew and Gentile again in the covenants of promise as they come by faith, so that he's saying it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. The issue is faith in Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, we'll see later on where uh, the prophet says in, in Romans 10, Who has believed our report? Whom is the arm of the Lord showed? He said, All day long I held out my hands to a people, and yet they rejected him all day long. But God began to open the door then to the Gentiles. Now let me show you something, because uh, Romans 8 had been talking a little bit about predestination, but I want to show you this as well in uh, Ephesians 1, because as I shared what in the last segment on Romans 8, that predestination does not simply mean God had purposed that some go to heaven and some go to hell. That's not in the text. It was that God had predetermined the inclusion of the Gentiles and the ultimate redemptive purpose, which would be 
in Christ. And even as we see His sovereignty when we come on down in Romans 9, where He hardens whom He will, and He uh, you know, has mercy on whom He will, is that He's not talking about heaven and hell. He's talking about His purpose being accomplished in the earth and the inclusion of the Gentiles. And now I'm going to show you something really big about if I can get to that. But I want to read this in Ephesians 1 because this is another scripture that's dealing with predestination. But in Ephesians 1 it said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you, peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He, watch this, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blame, without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself. Remember what I've been talking about in past segments. This adoption is the adoption moving, the whole point of Romans 8 was moving from servants to sons, moving from Romans 5 and 6, the body of Adam, to the body of Christ, and an adoption to wit, even the redemption of our bodies, that He's moving us into an adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, letting us learn how to lose our slave mentality to become sons. Man, there's a lot of good stuff out there anymore being taught about, you know, losing a, a servant mentality, or if you will, an orphan spirit to become a, a, a son, realizing that God does not just uh, abandon us, but that we are sons according to that the, the fact that He predestined, watch it, He predestined us to adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the pleasure of His goodwill, to the praise of His glory, of His grace, by which he, he made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things which are in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His own will, that He, that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of His glory, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit promise, who was the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Therefore also, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, make mention of you my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of His calling, and what are the riches of His, in glory in, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us, who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised from the dead and set Him in His own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, that He might, that might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come, and has put all things under His feet, 
and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. So what he's talking about here is he's talking about what he had predestined was the inclusion of the Gentiles together together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, according to the purpose of His will, that that was the mystery that was hid from ages, is that God had made a promise that the seed of Abraham would be a people who would bless the nations of the earth through that seed. With that being said, I feel like I need to go back over here and show you something in the book of uh, Corinthians. Uh, where he's talking about, again, uh, being uh, brought into this glorious redemption through Christ. And he starts talking about, you know, uh, he talks about, you know, the, the, the covenant of death, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of, uh, of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. And he's talking about here, uh, he's talking about resurrection. He's talking about, I believe, both a physical resurrection for believers, but also the key thought is there, uh, the resurrection, and I believe even uh, a fulfillment of much of the prophecies he made concerning dry bones of the resurrection of Israel and the resurrection literally of both Jew and Gentile being brought together in one in Christ. And so when he gets over here into the book of Corinthians, he's talking about, let me see if I can find it here, where he says, it, it goes on to say, okay, it says, but each one in his own order. Well, let me get this for, since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first roots, afterwards those that are Christ at His coming. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father, and He puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for He must reign till He has put all things under His feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for He has put all things under His feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are subject, made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Now let me just say to you, this really is so much that can be said here. There's no way I can hardly deal with this without dealing with some kind of eschatological thing. But the point that I want to make here is that what Jesus was doing was delivering them from the, uh, the covenant of death. See, I want to say something to you. Jesus is not going to abolish death. The Scripture said He has already abolished death. Who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel? who only hath immortality walking in the light that no man can approach unto. There's only one immortality that we get, and that's His. That's His life. That resurrection and that immortality be begins with every person the moment they believe they are passed from death unto life. 
But when he starts to talk about then comes the end, he's not talking about some uh, future end. I believe the end he's talking about, uh, and, and I, you're going to have to go back and listen to some of my eschatology stuff on this, but I believe the end that he's talking about was the end of the Old Covenant law. And the reason I say that is because the very last uh, verse of this tells you that the sting of death it tells you the sting of death is sin, and the strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, O Lord. O death, where's your sting? O Hades, where's your victory? So he's telling you, you're not under law any longer. You're not under that, that old covenant. And that's even what Romans is about, is moving from old covenant and moving into the new covenant. One was the curse of sin and death. The other is the gift of eternal life. Now, whether or not something happens, uh, you know, I, I, I believe that there is a resurrection body. I believe that this mortal puts on immortality, this corruptible puts on incorruption. But I want you to know that everything that we need for life and godliness has already been delivered to us in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, granted, we have not all walked in the reality of that, just like healing was given to us in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but sometimes we don't appropriate that by faith. But what I'm after is this scripture here that says that that uh, that uh, uh, that He delivers the kingdom up to God, so that God can be all in all. And when He's talking about this, He's not simply talking about one of these days out in the future, but He's talking to us about uh, our, our being included all in all. God being all in all is His inclusion of both Jew and Gentile. So He has delivered the theocratic kingdom up to God. He has given the Jews every opportunity to come into the covenants of promise, and out of that uh, out of that promise, there was a remnant that was brought in. But as you come back here and see that not only was there a remnant brought in, he reached over and grabbed the Gentiles so that the intent and purpose of this transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, which I believe all of these scriptures were fulfilled in A.D. 70 at the destruction of the temple and the passing away of the Old Covenant and the birthing of the New Covenant and the whole new creation being in full-blown birth as one body is coming together that's made up of both Jews and Gentile, that God would be all and in all. And that, to me, is the fulfillment of Romans 8. That's the fulfillment of Ephesians chapter 1, that He would gather together in one all things which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him, and that He would make God all in all. And that's what he was. we were reading here just a few moments ago, as we read in Romans chapter number 9, that, that, that Jesus was, let me see if I can grab it here, that Jesus, of whom are the fathers, from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is overall the eternally blessed God, Amen. So he, again, the predestination and the predetermination was that God would, would send the Son as the King, and the Messiah who was promised, 
and uh, was promised even in the book of Daniel. When you look at the book of Daniel, you can see in chapters 7 and chapter 9, especially in the resurrection chapters, that this king would come like one, would come on the clouds, and he would appear not to come get us, but appear before the Ancient of Days and receive his coronation as king. And uh, that's not something that's going to happen. Uh, matter of fact, the whole book of Acts and the persecution that came on all of these apostles was not because they were preaching, come to Jesus, get a ticket, you can go to heaven and get out of here. They were announcing there's a new king in town and the kingdom is advancing and it's going to trump, uh, it's going to trump Rome because Rome and Caesar could kill Jesus, but Jesus got back up from the dead so he could be the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. And so I want to tell you, we may not have seen the fullness of all that this entails, but nevertheless, Jesus is presently reigning, and He is presently gathering together in one all things that are in heaven and in earth, that God can be all in all, that is, that He can be not only God of the Jews only, because He delivered up the theocratic kingdom to God. He came as the royal seed of David to sit on the throne, and is now presently reigning. Not an accident that he says even to Caiaphas, when Caiaphas says, tell me plainly, are you the Christ? Jesus quotes Daniel chapter 9, I believe, or chapter 7, I might be confused, but these two, one of the two chapters, he says, he looks at Caiaphas and he answers Caiaphas's question. He said, from henceforth you will see the Son of Man. He uses the terminology that only Daniel uses. That's why Caiaphas ran his clothes, because he knew Jesus was quoting Daniel. You will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven and sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of glory. What I want you to see is that Romans 9 is talking about re the rejection of the unbelieving apostate Jews, and the inclusion of the Gentiles, that He could be God all in all, and deliver us from the bondage of the corruption of the old covenant system. See, you cannot preach 1 Corinthians 15 without connecting the dots to the final few verses that the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. And so what he's trying to get us to do is move from the dimension of works-based Christianity into faith-based, because that was the gospel that was preached to Abraham, that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, and that's what he's trying to get these Romans in this letter to receive, is that uh, that through the born-again experience, each one of them is brought into this glorious liberty. And even as he goes on down here and, um, and, and starts to... Let, I'll read this, and then I'll come back and possibly do one more segment on Romans 9. It goes on to say, uh, verse number 10, let me, let me go down in uh, uh, Romans 9 and read it. It says, And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, 
the older shall serve the younger. It is written, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Now I think that's probably a little bit of a strong word as far as he's talking about hating Esau, but what he's talking about is he's looking further in the future than just these two boys. He's looking at the lineage by which the seed would come and saying, okay, uh, Esau wants to approach it. And he uses actually the story of Esau uh, in the eleventh, uh, cha- no, I'm sorry, the twelfth chapter of the book of Hebrews, when he says, "Don't be a fornicator like Esau, who so who 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 sold his birthright for one morsel of of meat," and then he immediately almost looks it's like it's completely out of context. But as you read the twelfth chapter of Hebrews, he's telling them, "Look away from Moses." and look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Strengthen the feeble needs, lift up the hands that hang down. In other words, these were Jews that were being tempted to go back to Judaism. And he said, every son he loves, he corrects, because he wants to bring them into the covenants of promise. And then he says, don't be like Esau, that's a fornicator. In other words, don't forfeit your birthright and give away the blessing of the promise and don't be a fornicator like Esau. And then almost out of the left field, it seems like he says, for you have not come to blackness and darkness and to fear and trembling. You've not come to Mount Sinai, but you have come to Mount Zion. So what he's saying there is don't forfeit your promise and go back to Mount Sinai and to the old covenant where blackness and darkness, don't be a fornicator and go back out of the covenant of promise, but you've come to Mount Zion and you've come to the city of the living God. So when he's saying, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated, he, what he's simply saying is, I do not have any, uh, 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 I don't have any love for a works-based system that wants to try to earn this on the basis of being someone who thinks they can buy their way into the promise. This comes because God chose that the seed would come through Jacob and then Isaac and the ultimate seed, which is Christ. So what shall we say then? Is God unrighteous? Is there, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness in God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. Now let me just skip down here uh, because I want to pick that up. Uh, later on, but I want to just jump down to verse 25. It says, he says also in Hosea, I will call them a people who are not a people, and her beloved who was not beloved, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, then you shall be called the sons of the living God. Once again, the book of Hosea is about God provoking the Jews to jealousy to bring them back to believe in Christ through that which was available to them only through the redemptive work of Christ. I'm going to call them, he's talking about the inclusion of the Gentiles in the one man Christ and in the one body. And he also uh, uh, quotes, he said, Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work on the earth. And you see that same remnant in Romans 11, verse 5 through 7. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, that is no more by works. Otherwise, it is no more grace. But if it is be of works, that is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which she seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and were blinded. I believe that's what 
the book of Revelation chapter 14 and chapter 7 is about is the first fruits of God were out of the 12 tribes. They were the remnant that were brought into the fullness of Christ and both Jew and Gentile being brought together in one body. Well, we're out of time. I've got, I'm going to come back and do another segment yet on Romans 9. If you'd like to sow a seed into the ministry and help us to take this kind of a gospel around the world, please do it by going to the link on the screen, or you can scan the QR code, and it will take you directly to a link where you can give via credit card or debit card. There's also an address on the screen. You can send a check or money order to Linhouse Ministries, and uh, uh, there's an address where you can do that. You can also call the number on the screen. Someone will take your call. If you don't get an answer, leave a message, and we will return your call. But we do need your help. So seed into the ministry today. Pick up the phone or pick up your credit card and do it today while you're thinking about it. God bless you. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.